Hi, I'm Will, a bilingual English teacher and American expat living in Germany. And I'm Brenna, the editor of a literary magazine and a contrarian bookworm. Welcome to Scribes and Bibe, where we get tipsy and talk about etymology. We look up words with weird and shameful pasts or strange and contradictory meanings and then tell each other about them. The imbibing is primarily there to excuse the fact that I can't pronounce most morphemes to save my life. I asked Will to record a disclaimer for this week's episode since we talk about a few sexual words in a clinical context. However, I find myself having to record a disclaimer for Will's disclaimer. Be warned! Sexy times. Gender times. Join us as we get down and dirty with words. We get absolutely clinical on these words. Words like spermatozoa, sumptuous, climax, and orgasm. Oh yeah, baby. That's hot? Two times ago, uh, we talked about how we could talk about sexy words, and I'd be down with that. Do you uh, do you want to talk about sexy words? I mean, as is going to be the case with me, my approach to sexy words is going to lead us into a conversation about the effect that words have on, I don't know, um, gender dynamics or things like that. That's usually where this ends up for me, so... <laughs> If you want sexy, you might have to give me another week to prepare. But if you want clinical uh, words for man batter or joy juice or whatever you want to call it, um, (laughs) we can get into that. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about sperm. All right, let's do it. So spermatozoan is of Greek origin. And I, I, I originally chose it because I thought it was the funniest fucking thing that I had ever heard, which is it's two different parts of the word. It's sperma. Mm-hmm. And and zoon, uh, sperma means seed, and zoon means animal. It's where we get the word zoo. So you have, <laughs> you have animal seed. As far as I can tell, uh, spermatozoan didn't come into effect until uh, the 19th century. So we're not looking at actual like Greeks using this word. It just took Greek origin and put them together. Which is even better, because at some point in the 1800s, dudes looked around and they were like, you know what I think pregnancy is? (laughs) I think, (laughs) first of all, I think that women don't matter in this equation other than a place for the man animal to take his his seed and allow it to, to flourish. This was a real mentality, especially in the Middle Ages, the idea that men put their seed somewhere and that seed belonged to the man, and then it grew in a woman, and then it became a baby. And the baby, of course, belonged to the man. And if the couple couldn't get pregnant, then the woman was barren. This idea that women are just land, they're just soil, they just provide an environment for a man's seed. Um, And I find that fascinating, since a woman is doing most of the work of, you know, gestating, uh, growing the child, and is contributing you know, half of the material that goes into making a baby. And you don't see that in the language for 
a really long time. And then even when you have the chance to create more equal language and language with more equity for both parties, uh, the, the clinical term ends up being something that reflects this idea that babies are entirely made from male material. I think that's just kind of a bummer. Yeah, for sure. I also bumped into a word on my way here that I thought was pretty fine, and it consented to coming along with me. So to start things off, I give you <laughs> sumptuous. Ooh, sumptuous. Which I think is a pretty hot word. <laughs> um, but it doesn't mean that. It doesn't have anything to do with sexiness or uh, innuendo. It means extremely costly, rich, luxurious, or magnificent. And it's a relatively old word in the sense that it comes from the 15th century. There's a Latin verb, which is called sumere, which means to take or spend. And we got a whole bunch of words that came from that one, as is languages want, that consume, substume, subsume, resume, assume. Yeah, a whole bunch of things that came from the Latin. And sumptus is the Middle English word for expense. And that's the one that comes directly from the Latin verb. Well, that that pleases me because I can just imagine being like, ah, yes, look at this sumptuous manure that I bought (laughs) for my farm today. (laughs) And everyone's like, you need eat that? Nah, costly. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that one. I like that word. It's a great word. It's like a rich chocolate cake in words. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, the last time we were talking when we talked about decadent, mm, which, yeah. which feels like it should have the same meaning of like magnificent and rich, but instead means like moral decay. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, <laughs> that was a really fun journey down uh, mm-hmm. etymology lane. Uh, do you have another word on deck? Uh, so, ooh, very good segue, sir. My next word is going to refer to pirates a lot. So yes. thank you. Thank you for setting me up for that. Um, so <laughs> I feel like the the verb around to be is a really interesting one in a lot of languages. But in English, I have discovered some things. Originally in Old English, the present tense, like all present tense expressions of existence were eom which became am so like mm-hmm. i am you am we am etc and b was more which comes from beyond was more like come to be uh. so they were used they were used separately and then b started to take its own place eventually it became the first person plural present indicative there it is so you would say like uh we be and so like when you think of pirates you might think of like we be pirates. Yeah. That was very that was very common until the 17th century, which introduced uh, the Old English arun, which became the the first person plural so r, yeah, right? Yeah. And so what's funny about that is that pirates obviously pirates didn't actually have one you know like standard dialect. Pirates came right. from all sorts of backgrounds, <laughs> but um, but here's how you can tell good linguistic study from bad is if you have pirates in like a modern movie that say things like we be pirates that would actually be very normal um there are even still some dialects that use be like oh yes we be uh in southwest england Mm -hmm. but you would never ever have a pirate who would say i be the captain because am was around a lot longer than r and am was the starting word even before b came into play Mm -hmm. so that's how you know 
be on the lookout. Cool. That, that's a really fun thing to pay attention to. Um, also, one last point about R. We do still retain the word B to mean the word R in one phrase that, that is used in, in our modern dialect, which is the powers that be. Oh, that should be R. Mm-hmm. Rather than the powers that are. Nice. Yeah. All right. Here's a fun linguistic journey through time and space. The error. What was the Aram? 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 Yeah. E-A-R-U-N. So that sounds to me very, very close to, uh, very much like the Swedish verb to be, which when you do anything with it in present tense, it is er, and it's Mm. spelled A with an umlaut, so little dots, R, which would be A-E-R if you were to do an umlaut without the little dots. And that's used for the first person and the second person and the third person, singular and plural. Really? Yeah. So they don't don't change that verb for any of the persons or plural or singular. That's so cool. It does say in my notes that it does come from the um, Mm Proto-Germanic AR prefix. So that that makes sense. It would be logical to assume that that's where it went because Swedish and English, it's all in one family. (laughs) <laughs> it's all Germanic. Yep. <laughs> um, cool. That's a fun one. Yeah. Thank you. That was good to know more about the uh, the origins of such things. Yeah. Oh, man. And Swedish and English and German are so tight sometimes, it's confusing. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, this is a word. I know how to pronounce it. And then all of a sudden, wait, I know how to pronounce it in English. And I know what it means in German. <laughs> uh, I do. I do. Uh. Um, anyways, to to return to sexy things. Hmm. Yes, please. Orgasm. Yeah. And all the bits, you know, orgasmed, <laughs> orgasming, orgasms, orgasmic, orgasm. It's a fun yeah, word. Man, just keep saying it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it means intense or paroxysmal excitement. So this word, I like. I also like saying it. And I think it's fun because not a lot of people are comfortable hearing it or saying it. Mm. Um, but first, let's go back to 1763, which is when it was first used as orgasm. And before that, uh, well, then we go back to New Latin, orgasmus, which obviously is pretty much the same. Back from that to Greek, orgasmos, still pretty much the same, which yeah. comes from the Greek organ which is a verb to grow ripe or to be lustful, which I think is nice, very fitting. So the definition's meaning hasn't really changed a whole lot. And way back in the day, um, parallel to Greek and New Latin was Sanskrit and urya, spelled U with a squiggly above it, R-J-A with a squiggly above it, which means uh, sap or strength. Oh my god, why have we not replaced orgasm with ooya? Like that that says so, everything you need to know. Yeah, right? On monopoetic <laughs> to the extreme. Also sap and strength, that's incredible. Because yeah, <laughs> everyone gets sappy and, and like there's a very strong moment followed by incredible weakness. <laughs> I think it's really interesting that we've used the word come to replace orgasm when we're talking about it, maybe like in the moment, like nobody, I don't, I don't think 
I know a lot of people, not that I've ever asked them, in media, I guess, is what, where I'm pulling from. People don't really say, oh, yeah, I'm orgasming, I'm orgasming. They say, I'm, I'm coming. And I, mm. I, I kind of like that as the idea of, um, of more of like the, the spiritual, mental, physical combination of arriving in a present moment. Uh-huh. I think that that's doing a lot of work, that orgasm maybe isn't, <laughs> or maybe hasn't been allowed to. Yeah. Uh, is there another word that could be used as a verb, much the way that orgasm and come is used? We do use climax. I'm climaxing. I mean, it's not as common, but um, it comes from the Greek climax with a K, uh, which would make a good band name. And yes. it means <laughs> it means ladder. So I'm assuming you get to the top Ooh. of the ladder and you just orgasm from how awesome you feel at reaching. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is cool, especially because that, I think, describes the process leading up to right. the climax very well. Mm-hmm. The sense of culmination arose in the late 18th century, so I'm not sure where that that sexual connotation came in. Hmm. Interesting. Have you heard of Marie Stopes? She, um, I think she was, again, this is where like more research would help before we had these conversations, but I'm pretty sure she was one of the early uh, creators of like modern birth control. But she is the reason... We have climax to mean sexual orgasm. Uh, it's said to have been promoted in the early 1900s by Marie Stopes uh, because she found it to be a more accessible word than orgasm. Okay. Which is wild, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, you don't see a lot of words where someone goes, you know, nobody's really comfortable using this word. I'm going to make a campaign. Hmm. To replace it with something else. I mean, like, it is a good word from the 1580s. It means a chain of reasoning in graduating steps from weaker to stronger, which is just delightful when you think of it in a sexual sense, but... (laughs) Yeah, it totally is. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, huh. This is very interesting. You're absolutely right about Mary Stopes. Just to wrap that one up, um, she and her second husband founded the first birth control clinic in Britain in between 1880 and 1958 is when she lived, so also during the time of suffragettes in Britain and women's rights and voting rights. Although, if my memory serves, she was also a proponent of eugenics, so... Oh, that's... Yeah, that's kind of the case with the early suffragettes. You always have to be like, oh, this person was really inspiring. Oh, no, they were also super racist. Or, they're, you know, it's just like, you know, it's just a real bummer. <laughs> eugenics made me think of something else. Okay, so we're going to do a hop, skip, and a jump um, to Sir Thomas More and <gasps> Utopia. Utopia, mm-hmm. yes. Um, As you know, I recently wrote my bachelor thesis about dystopia, and the hop, skip, and the jump is from Thomas More, sir, um, and dystopia to the two meanings or the two interpretations of utopia. So, thanks to Greek, you could spell utopia if you were to, if you had to spell it, you could spell it EU or just U. So, EU-topia is is happy place. So you got topos. Like euphoria. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So happy is the prefix, and then place, topos, topia. So you you could say that a utopia is a happy place. It's a perfect culture or civilization. Or you could say that it's you with a U, which uh, would mean it's the prefix for no or not. The, the na, 
that's not an English word. I was about to say the nine prefix. So the non 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 yeah, place negating. Yeah. There we go. Right. The negating prefix plus place. So, and Sir Thomas More with his novel Utopia basically used the entire book to play with that difference because on the one hand he described this perfect culture where everything's fine and people have the jobs and things they need and and at the same time the whole story is told in an epistolary fashion because he pretends that he's getting letters from some homie who was actually there in utopia so he's playing with the idea that is this person who's writing these letters real is this perfect place that would be great, but unless it's not a real place. And that is what eugenics made me think of because of the prefix you. And <laughs> yeah, I know that in eugenics, I think it's a different meaning. I think it's um, true, right? As with, as with uh, eukaryotic cells and whatnot. Ye- no, it's from EU meaning good and genos meaning birth. So, oh, that makes sense. Which is really horrifying when you think about how eugenics are used for yes. the word to mean good birth. But Oh, ethics. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Oh, Wait, geez. but that, that really means that we should call, like, abortion eugenics with a U. No birth. <laughs> Non-birth. That, yes. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, actually, speaking of abortion, this is kind of a fun one. Abortion used to mean, you know, just like the termination of anything, um, right? Including it was it was the word for miscarriage, and so what you you'd have is you'd have like if somebody miscarried, they'd say, "Oh, I had an abortion because your pregnancy was aborted um, right. by whatever." Um, but then when it became a thing that they were talking about, like whether or not to legalize the actual procedure, you would they would call it uh, procuring an abortion. Basically, you're going out and, mm. and asking for a miscarriage. And there became a really big divide between, like, what those two things meant uh, morally for society. Right. And so abortion came to mean the actual medical procedure, and they had to kind of switch terms hmm. to miscarriage. I think that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Cool. I didn't know that. No. How are you going to bring this to a close? Oh, wait. No, I have a perfect thing to bring this to a close. All right. Close it. All right. Today's uh, unexamined word... Um, is Aquarius. Pretty straightforward from the Latin Aquarius, literally meaning water carrier, but it is properly an adjective, which means pertaining to water. So, in the horoscope, you are not an Aquarius, you are an aquarium. (laughs) (laughs) This has been Scribes Imbibe, and we'll talk to you in the future.